Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We've been working through uh, 1 Samuel and sort of smaller chunks and larger chunks. Today's going to be a really large chunk, but we're going to see a longer na- narrative here sort of um, taking place between Saul and David. Just to perhaps, um, actually, the, the kids' video is just right on cue, so I don't even know what you were doing, Hannah, but that was, you know, actually it was the Lord who was doing it anyway. It's going to be right on cue. Okay, if I, were, if I take a plan into the council and it's got faulty foundations like Fred the Foolish Builder, if I take that plan to council, what do you think the building inspector will say if I take in this plan with really dodgy foundations, like perhaps like Fred's building, no foundations whatsoever? You can't build on that. That's what they're going to say. As soon as the pressure of the storm comes, even though the water in Ken did sort of knock the house over a little bit there in the movie, it happens. Um, either the storm will knock your building off the foundations, I'll say, or the ground, as we do live here in Shepparton, drought will come and actually crack the earth underneath, and that'll break up your house as well. You can't build on faulty foundations. That just goes. That's how it is. That's what the council will say. Today we're going to think about Saul and David, these, um, these kings here. One is the people's king, the other is God's king. And we're going to see them building their lives from different identities or different worldviews or different foundations. We're going to see this sort of take place today and one of them is going to crash and burn and the other is actually going to thrive through adversity. We're going to see this picture here of these two guys as we work through it. So uh, please grab your Bibles and uh, we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 18. Verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the son of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armour and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine. The women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. 
But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to come and open up you. We ask and pray, Holy Spirit, as we look at this really long narrative here between Saul and David, we ask and pray, please help us to see the difference here between Saul and David. One, building their foundations on you, and the other, Lord, building their foundations on falseness, on the sinking sand of this world. Please help us to see what you're doing now, and may that transform our hearts as well, we pray. We ask it in your name, Jesus, and for your glory alone. Amen. Samuel, what is Samuel? Samuel's an historical book here. It's the historical book from the Old Testament, which is about God's providence in choosing and selecting and preparing a king for Israel. That's what Samuel, first and second Samuel are all about. Saul, the first king chosen by the people, is a dud. Now, note what I said there, chosen by the people. God appointed Saul, but it was according to the people's uh, desires. Now, God chooses the king that they really need. First king has failed them. And now we enter this really long narrative here that spans many chapters that traces out this sort of massive contrast here between the people's choice of a king and God's king that he knows that the people really need. It becomes sort of chapter after chapter here of the people's king, Saul, as it were, attempting to hunt down and kill David, the king that God has raised up. You actually follow this over the next eight chapters between uh, 18 to about 26 and maybe follows on a bit more beyond that as well. It's this really sort of toing and froing narrative here of one chasing the other. Uh, so here's where we're going to head today as we think about what's happening in Samuel and across these chapters. Uh, the Lord strengthens and equips and enables us to know his presence and to flourish as we see our identity in him, in God. No matter where we are at in life, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, God enables us to flourish knowing our identity in him. Here's what we'll do. We're going to set up this contrast here with Paul having this identity crisis, which is what Saul... Did I say Paul then? Saul. Paul comes later on. His name was Saul as well. Going to set up this contrast here with Saul has this identity crisis and builds his life on these crumbling foundations. Well, we're going to see David flourish in adversity as he understands who God is. That's how we're going to set, uh, frame up our, um, our sermon today. Firstly, we'll see Saul, who's turned into a very savage and perhaps a bit unhinged. This is probably one way you could describe this guy at this particular time. Saul has become desperate. He's actually riddled with jealousy and filled with insecurities. That's where Saul's at. What Saul has done, he's put David in command of his army. He's come back from taking down the Goliath, the the chapter before, so he must be uh, an obvious warrior here. So Saul puts David in command of his armies, and mind you, David's probably 20, 21. He's pretty young, but back then, hey, that's, that's how it happened. They've come back from this victorious battle, and then the ladies have all come out because they're wondering what's happened, how the battle go. The ladies have all come out and they're celebrating now the return of their husbands and their sons or even their fathers at this particular time. It's an occasion of joy and celebration. They've gone out and they've actually defended themselves from the enemy. Hey, and God's brought them back victorious and everything's great. And here's the song that they sing when they see the men marching back from the victory. And here it is. Um, it says this. Saul has struck down his thousands... And David is ten thousands. There's something very telling in that line there, isn't there? How does King Saul react when he hears this? Because he thinks he's number one guy. 
We'll have a look in verses 8 and 9, and we actually see Saul's reaction really quick. It says here, and Saul was very angry. Very angry. This saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me, they've ascribed thousands. What more can he have? Can he have the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Sets the scene for us for where Saul's going. He's not a happy camper. He's jealous. He's actually seething with anger here as he sees what's going on. He says, what? Do they want to give him the kingdom as well? He's got more fame than me. And you see, when someone's jealous, what's really the next reaction that takes place after the jealousy? It's anger, isn't it? When someone gets jealous, it's amazing how quick anger just rises to the top and you just want to settle that score. Well, let's have a look and see what happens. Verse 10. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. As he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Well, there's his anger just erupting. Now, I just want to take a really small deviation in that verse right there. Can you see that first line back in verse 10? The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. Does that raise a question for you? It should. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the writer here of Samuel, he just takes this for a fact. God is utterly, totally, completely sovereign in everything. And God is utterly, totally, completely holy and good and just in everything. The writer who writes Samuel just takes that, he knows that, he grabs that. Everything. There's not one thing in this universe that God doesn't have full and total control over. So what's happening there when he says, this harmful spirit from God came upon Saul? Well, this is part of God's judgment on Saul for rejecting who God is. For rejecting God as the Lord of who Saul should owe all of his allegiance to and his very life to. So what is God doing? God permits, God allows this harmful spirit to come upon Saul and to begin to afflict him. And God is perfectly good, God is perfectly just, God is perfectly holy in all of that. If we're really honest, Saul doesn't deserve to live because he's rejecting the living God. But part of God's judgment at this particular time is he allows this harmful spirit to come upon Saul. Now you might think, is there anywhere else that happens? Well, if you go to the start of the book of Job, you'll actually see something similar there where Satan's roaming around the earth and and God says, if you consider my servant Job, Satan, yeah, but he's only that because you look after him all the time. God says, I'll allow you to do something to him. Now there's a whole lot of other mystery in Job there, but it just, just highlights the case there of God's pure sovereignty. He's over all of this. As much as we may not be able to compute that in our minds, that's where we've got to sit with that. God's in control of all this and God's completely just, holy and good in allowing this to take place. God's doing the same thing here with Saul, but this time it's a point of judgment. So we'll step back into the passage now, okay? So just, just wanted to answer that question there for us. Okay, we saw there jealousy and anger. It's erupting out of Saul. Now let's trace this out over the next Eight chapters, we're not going to read all the next eight chapters, but we're going to trace this out through various times where it just shows again and it shows again and it shows again. 
Because you see this person, Saul, here, basically unravelling himself. Not going to have these scriptures for you, but you can write these down. Chapter 18, verses 17 to 29, what Saul does next, he sends David into the heat of the battle, to the fiercest battle point. Why? Because I want to see David get killed against the, you know, the best of the Philistines. He does that. In chapter 19, verses 8 to 24, again, Saul is overcome with jealousy and he tries to kill David again. And if you read through that passage, you'll see there, this harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul again at that time. Maybe some sort of depressive, manic sort of activity perhaps happening inside Saul, I don't know. Uh, Chapter 20, verses 30 to 34, you'll see there that Saul is in a rage with his own son, Jonathan, because Jonathan's trying to protect David. Again, it's a highlight here, this anger and this jealousy that's erupting out of Saul at this particular time. 22, 6-19, Saul, in a jealous rage, goes down to uh, and kills the priests of Nob for protecting David. It's, this is part of this long narrative. David's gone down there and he's got some help from the priests of Nob. Saul's heard about it. He goes down there and just kills them all because they, they help David. Chapter 23, verses 15 to 29, chapter 24 and chapter 26, three other occasions, you'll see Saul there filled with rage, hunting down David with with a lynch mob, as we read there before. 3,000 men, they're on a posse, and what they're trying to do, they just want this one guy, and we just want to take him out. It's a picture here again of this Saul uh, filled with jealousy and filled with rage at this time. Go back and read through those passages there and you'll see Saul, he's just unravelling. He's just unravelling. What is he? he? He's mentally and he's emotionally, he's falling apart. He's just falling apart on the inside and caving in on himself. He, he's riddled with jealousy, which is boiling over in anger on all these occasions. Saul's a bit like an insecure runaway train plunging down this pathway of implosion. That's where his life's heading now as he gets so fixated on this. Now we might stop here and ask a question, well, why is this happening? Why are you like this, Saul? What's actually driving this? What's what's motivating this? Well, as we saw in the earlier chapters of of, uh, Samuel, Saul did have this encounter with God, but then Saul deliberately chose to walk away and to disobey God and do life on his own terms. And as soon as Saul did that, as soon as Saul walked away from God, he actually developed this identity crisis. He forgot who God was. And when you do that, you actually forget who you are as well as as a created being of God. You have this identity crisis. You actually don't know really who you are because you've lost sight of who God is, the very foundation of life. So what does Saul try to do now when he's trying to regain some sort of identity in life, not knowing that he's created of God? Well, he builds a new identity. Now it's on power and control. That's what he wants. He wants power and he wants control. Saul is chased here after position and prestige. It's a bit like, don't mess with me. Don't you know I'm the first king of Israel? That's the position I have. That's the power I hold. And in some ways, it worked for Saul for a short time. There was a measure of that where he actually experienced perhaps a bit of satisfaction or a bit of fulfilment in in holding this power and in holding this position. And he probably had some people gathering around who were pumping up his tyres and maybe stroking his ego a bit and telling him what a wonderful king he was and what a wonderful warrior he was. And and he had that for a measure of time because he had a few victories over the Philistines. But then another person comes onto the scene. 
Someone who's got a bit more fame and a bit more prestige than what he did. You know, Saul is thousands, David is ten thousands. How's it working for you now, Saul? When you actually hear that? Well, Saul's idol, this controlling factor in his life of power and position, doesn't like to hear that, that there's somebody more powerful than me. There's somebody perhaps with a bit more prestige than me or somebody with a bit more fame than me. So this sense of what's driving Saul wants to restore the balance of power, wants to actually get that right again. He wants to elevate himself up. And the only way to regain that balance of power is what do you do? You've got to take out the rivals, haven't you? You've got to remove them out of the equation. You've got to take them out of the picture. How's that working for you, Saul? He's a tortured man, as we just see that. He's a tortured man emotionally and mentally. Saul is a man who's full of fear. He's actually a train wreck just looking for the next derailment to take place. He may look like he's got it together somewhat on the outside, but he is just collapsing in on himself on the inside. This is the identity crisis now that Saul is going through here as he gets so fixated on power and control and position. And this is what happens when we leave God out of the picture of our life. When we take out the very foundation of our life in God, we lose all our bearings for life. And we're just clamouring for something else to live for, something else that will keep driving me on. It's like you've got this compass of life in front of you, but there's no dial on the compass and you've got no idea where you're going or what you're doing because you've taken out the very centre of what life is all about. This is the crisis that Saul's going through and we see that he's unravelling in every sense of the word. That's Saul. David is very, very different on the other hand. He's the total opposite of Saul. It's actually delightful and encouraging you to watch David gladly submit to the Lord in God's ways and find his strength in life to know who he's living for and what his living is all about. God in his grace has come to David back a couple of chapters earlier on there and chosen him to be his king over Israel. We saw back in 16, God's spirit is placed upon uh, David and he's equipped and enabled now to carry out that task and he, and he does that amazing feat that God enables him to take down um, Goliath the giant. But David's anointed in secret because Saul's still on the scene at this particular time and he's anointed in secret because David, uh, Saul is filled with this fury and anger because of that. But even through this, this sort of secret anointing or sort of behind the scenes, David remains a very faithful servant here of the Lord, honouring God with his patience and his obedience here, day by day, moment by moment. Let's have a look then how David responds here to this rage, this jealous rage of Saul's in a really godly way over these chapters as well. Chapter 20. Uh, there's a, uh, we won't put it up on the screen, for chapter 20, um, David has this, engaged with this beautiful friendship, and we're going to look at this perhaps next week, this beautiful friendship of Saul's son, Jonathan. So he's happy to still connect there and actually be part of the family in that way. So there's a picture of just godliness coming out there. Chapter 22, verse 3, uh, David here we see he's waiting on the will of God during a very stressful time. So he's got this God-centeredness. Even here, okay, Lord, I'm not sure where to go next, what to do. Saul's after me. He's waiting upon the Lord for that. Chapter 23, we see David is prayerful to the Lord while being on the run from Saul. Saul's after him and he's praying, God, please guide me, lead me, direct me. Where do I go next? What do I do? So there's this, again, this picture here of a prayerful um, David uh, running from, from Saul. Chapter 24 
um, if you've read through 1 Samuel before, and I'm trusting you all have, and hopefully more than once, it's one of these really interesting narratives here, chapter 24. Uh, David is hiding in a cave with all of his men. There's probably two or 300 men, so it's probably it's a big cave. Hiding from Saul. And if uh, you read the ESV there, Saul goes in there to relieve himself. Okay, so Saul's going there to go to the toilet, in case you're wondering what that meant. Saul goes into this cave to go to the toilet, and then David's men, who are all in there, here's your chance, um, David. It's like the Lord's brought him in. Kill him. David says, no, I'm not going to do that. But while Saul's doing his business, David actually cuts a piece of Saul's robe off. Just imagine this. Don't imagine what Saul's doing. Just imagine what David's doing, okay? (laughs) He just cuts a corner of his robe off. Now, only God could actually allow that to take place because he's like literally that close. Cuts the corner of his robe. Saul finishes, leaves the cave. David walks out and says, hey, king, look what I've got. I could have killed you, but I didn't. That gives us a picture here of David and his God-centeredness. David has another chance here. Have a look in uh, chapter 26. David and his men have come upon Saul's camp at night. So they've actually known they're out there. And they're all asleep in the camp. And David's men are up there and they see that. Let's, let's, Let's go down. Let's see what happens here in chapter 26, verses 8 to 11. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please... Let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. In other words, don't worry, I'm not going to miss. I'm that close, I'm going to put it right through him into the ground. I won't need to do it twice. The scene set. David says to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put my hand out against the Lord's anointed. But now take the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and then let us go. It's powerful when you think about that. The opportunity is right there to take out the enemy. We actually get another insight here into the life and the mind of David, now probably 23, 24, 25 years old. They're in the enemy's camp. Everybody's asleep. Even his personal bodyguards are asleep beside him. And they're standing next to Saul. And David says, no, we're not going to do this. What can we see there? There's this God-centered worldview that David has. It's God-centered in every way. He has this deep-rooted trust in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. That he's not going to do anything outside of God's timing. David is completely content to wait until the Lord makes uh, available this opportunity for him to be king because he knows he will be king at some point down the track. David will not disobey God at that point. Even with that golden opportunity right there, David says, no, I'm not going to do that. And a few hours later, David does it again. They get on opposite sides of the ridge and he calls out and says, king, whose spear is this? Whose water jug is this? And Saul looks across and says, David, you're a better man than me. You could have taken me out and you didn't. It's a picture again there of this wonder of who God is and particularly in David's life. See, what's the difference here with David that is not like Saul? What's the difference here between these guys that actually sets them apart and who they are? 
Well, see, David doesn't have an identity crisis like Saul's got. David doesn't have that. He knows who God is. He knows he's the sovereign creator of all. David knows that firmly, deeply convicted about that. And David also knows who he is. He's a created person in the image of God, designed to live for God's glory. David's got that firmly rooted in his mind. That's what girds him, this foundation of who he is in God. And what do we see here through all of these sort of David near-death experiences? And he had many of those. I mean, sitting in the corner of the room playing the harp or the lyre and like hurls of spirits. That's, that's a near-death experience. Well, David doesn't lose it with God and go feral. Well, hang on, God, I thought life was going to be really easy. You now I've got this bloke who's just throwing spears at me all the time. David doesn't lose to that point and just turn his back on everything. He doesn't walk away from God because it's got tough, as it did many times, living out in that wilderness with 3,000 of the elite SAS soldiers of Saul's army chasing after you. He holds on to who God is. David knew that God was for him and not against him. Have a look here as we see God working this. Chapter 18, verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. The Lord is with David, departed from Saul. Verse 14, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. The strength of David's life is not David, it's God working through David. The ability to hang on in these tough times is not necessarily David, it's actually God working through David, giving him that ability to hold on. David also knew this about in the wilderness hiding out, he knew this about God hiding out in the wilderness from Saul as well. Look in verse 14 of chapter 23, it says this, And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. That sounds pretty regular, doesn't it? But what happened? But God did not give him into his hand. God's working in David's life. This is the pitch here again of God's uh, sovereign providence working through his raising up of this king. But God did not give him in to the hand of Saul. David knew God as well when he was in Saul's camp in the dead of night. Have a look at this in verse 12 of chapter 26. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No one saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep. Why were they asleep? Because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. God's working in that situation here to achieve his purposes. God gave them all an ascetic that night. They probably had the best sleep they've had for years. And some of us think, I'd like to sleep like that sometimes. God was working in David's life, even in the middle of that precarious moment, to fulfil all of God's purposes. David's the receiver of God's grace here in his life as, as he carries that out. And remember where David has come from. There's nothing special about David. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. He was literally the least in the family. He wasn't even invited to the feast with Samuel at that time. God took him from the, um, from the, the, the back paddock with the sheep and now has made him the king of Israel. Now, as we look at this contrast here of Saul on one hand and David on the other hand, we actually still, this narrative working its way out today, not so much people necessarily chasing at all over, each other across the countryside, but we still live in a world where people have identity crisis, majorly. People don't know who they are. 
Uh, I've been doing a bit of reading over the last few months, particularly of the rise of anxiety and fear and mental health issues, and alarmingly in our teenagers. I've been reading quite a few reports and different stuff over the last few months, and I read another one the other day, which was alarming to see some of the statistics that are coming out now. Uh, Teenage boys, teenage girls, as, as, as well as adults, who are overwhelmed in life, filled with anxiety and filled with fear and filled with insecurity about life, not knowing who they are, not knowing what life's all about. And I've been reading some of the stuff here about the gender debate that's actually sort of tied in very deeply with this. And this gender debate is is riddled with major problems where young people think if they can just change their gender, their identity, so to speak, well, then all their mental health issues will be fixed. If I can just change that, that'll fix me. Now, firstly, I don't doubt that these people here are going through mental health issues. I don't doubt that these people are experiencing real pain and real challenges. They grapple with uh, stuff happening in their lives. But the reason that pain is there from a foundational level, and I don't say this glibly or say this lightly, but the reason that pain is there from a foundational level is because they've actually got no idea who God is. They've got no idea what life is from that perspective centred around God. And they're actually falling apart in that sense. They don't even know that they're created in God's image. And when you haven't got those bearings, you light that compass without a dial. And here's one of the alarming things that happens. But when they don't see that, when they don't see that God is the centre of our lives and God is our creator, and they're not told that, they actually turn somewhere else to try and find out what life's all about. And you know where they go? They go into their bedroom. They shut the door and they pull out their phone and they just type stuff into Google and just see what comes up. You know what happens when they go there? They find a whole heap of stuff and about 99.9% of it is false and deceptive. They're trying to build their identity on that. And some of them do, unfortunately, actually make this transition in gender, which they literally can't. They can do some cosmetic changes. And what they're not telling us now on social media is the amount of people who've looked for this identity in gender and then say, I'm going to swap. What they're not telling us now, there's massive numbers that are actually detransitioning. They've actually thought, okay, I'll change my gender. They've got there and thought, that didn't work. I'm still actually feeling insecure on the inside. I'm still a crippled emotional mess. And there's large numbers now detransitioning back to what they originally were. Now, you won't hear that sort of story because that sort of element out there don't want those stories to get out, but that's actually what's happening. They've lost their bearings of who they are. The very foundations of life has actually been pulled from underneath them. And this is what happens. When when you pull God out of these foundations of our life, you're pulling out the very foundation of what you build your life on. And, of course, your life will eventually crash like a dead for Fred, the foolish builder we saw before. Because it can't stand the challenge of this world. We've got to have those right foundations there. Saul didn't have that. David did. And this becomes the beauty of the gospel to actually regain those foundations in our life. Have a look with me at what Jesus says in Matthew 7, which was lovely put, with, uh, put for, before us before. Matthew 7:24 says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house. But it did not fall. It did not crumble. It wasn't lost. It wasn't confused. Why? It had been founded on the rock. It had been founded on the truth of who Christ is. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them turns away from the Lord and says, I'll just do life on my own terms. I'll work out my own identity. I'll just go my own direction. I'll, I'll just work it out myself. Everybody who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against that house and it fell. Did it just fall? No, it says there, and great was the fall of it. If you're not built on Christ, your life will crash. Your life will crash. Jesus rescues us from our identity crisis. That's why he came. He came to rescue us. He came to save us. Instead of us being a living in a world of a dog-eat-dog sort of scenario filled with jealousy and filled with fear and anger and anxiety and we're trying to just climb over the next person to get position or get power or get something in life, Jesus goes to the cross and he reconciles us back to the Father so we can rebuild those foundations. In that forgiveness that Jesus offers us, he now places on this path to wholeness, built on the foundations of Christ himself. We receive a new identity a new identity in Jesus. He's our saviour. We're equipped now to handle life from a whole new perspective because the storms will come. The winds will blow. But we have this new identity now that I'm saved and loved and valued in Christ just as God has made me. I don't need to have another identity. I don't need to transition. I don't need to do these things. I am who God has made me to be. And I can deal with these challenges now from that foundation. I'm not here to impress people or suppress people to get positional power. I don't need to do that. I know who I am in Christ. I don't need to actually climb over the top of other people to get there. Only to discover when I do that, there is somebody better than me out there at that particular thing. And that just shoots me down again. I don't need to do that. The gospel tells me I'm already loved and valued in Christ and all I have to do now is gladly live for his glory. Gladly put my trust in him. And when I apply that truth of the gospel into my life, I find a life of wholeness and peace and joy no matter what is happening. Even if I've got got to hide in a cave like David had to in that time of challenge, in that time of difficulty. Jesus still loves me even if I'm in that place of stress. Jesus is still my protector. Because we saw that with David. No matter what he was facing, he held on. See, knowing God as my creator and saviour builds this super deep foundation in my life. I can be anchored in life no matter what is taking place. The person and power of Christ girds my mind here with the truth of the gospel so that when the lies of this world comes, when I might go into that bedroom and I might shut the door and I get on my phone and I start searching the web and I find this stuff, the truth of the gospel comes back again and says, no, that's not right. That's not the truth. I can actually identify that as a lie and I can just reject those thoughts. I can come back to God as my foundation. I can capture those lies and the strength that he gives and reject them 
because of the foundation that God has placed in our lives. Let me ask you these questions. What are you building your life on today? What are the foundations that you're using to build your life on? Who are you? What is your identity in life? Have you stopped to think about those questions? What are you turning to when life doesn't go quite according to plan? What are you turning to to cope with? How are you getting through? Can you answer those questions? They're really important. Jesus is the identity that you need. Jesus is the one who sets us free from this world's grip. Jesus is the one who we've been created for. There is no other identity to be found in Christ. You find that, you find life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come around your word now. We thank you, Lord, today for this long story, this long narrative here between Saul and David, Lord. God, it's such a stark picture. Who are we? Are we Saul or are we David? Am I filled with jealousy? Am I filled with insecurity? Am I filled with fear? Am I trying to just find my way in life by looking for power and position? Am I Saul? Or am I David? Trusting in you, Lord. Accepting what comes in life, knowing that you're sovereign over all these circumstances and that doesn't affect my love with you or doesn't affect my acceptance with you. Knowing that you're with me, Lord, whether I'm even hiding in the cave, that you're with me. God, I pray today, let your spirit work in our hearts here, this glorious uh, foundation that Christ now places us upon, the rock that will carry us through the storms of life and able to thrive through those storms, thrive in our inner man, strong in the strength that you give to us. Help us to feed upon that strength every day, Lord, by walking closely with you, I pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, great story today, and pray, let your spirit work that in our hearts now. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.